WWDC week. WWDC week. Is it still, because we're recording on Saturday, is it still going or is it fully over now? It ended Friday. Like Friday okay. is, is when Apple's thing ends. Yeah, you know, there's always a lot of overhang. There's mm-hmm. things going on probably into next week. I still feel like I've barely dug into a lot of the stuff. Mm-hmm. This year was more of a success from a how I'm feeling standpoint. Yeah. Not as busy. Better planned, really. Which part of the reason we're recording this on Saturday. Like I, I spread <laughs> my week out pretty nicely. So I was only ever recording one thing per day. Mm, that is much better than last year. Last year was, oh, was very terrible. rough for you. <laughs> yeah, the biggest change for me this year was moving like non-essential things, like just like regular things out of mm-hmm. this week. And that's made things a lot better. And it's actually, I just think it's been very helpful because I've also had more time this week to watch some session videos and dig into some of the beta stuff. So... Uh, Monday was rough, but like that was just the way it was going to be. Right? It was just super late recording. I published Upgrade at half past two in the morning and mm. then was awake until half past four, uh, which was just wild. Yes. Your, your upgrade WWDC recording schedule day on Monday. My thoughts are with you that day, Mike, because I know it is a late night for you doing the recording and the editing to turn that show around mm-hmm. real fast. And it's brutal people will ask me like why do you publish it that day like why not just go to sleep and do it the next day or whatever and sometimes i find especially with creative work there are there are reasons to do things and sometimes those reasons mean you end up working really late and Mm -hmm. for me i want to not only have our show out on the day of the keynote i kind of want it to be first Mm -hmm. and so I will burn the candle at every possible end to get it out that day because that's just important to me. I think most people probably don't care about it as much as I do, but I do just really care. It's important to me. It's important to me that we have that episode out on Monday. Yeah. yeah, it's just a, a thing. Like, I just want to do that. It's like a little commitment that I have to myself. Yeah, like I don't think you're wrong. I think this is the way different projects are different mm-hmm. right which is like obvious to say but if you take that idea seriously it means you make very different decisions for different sorts of things and mm-hmm. so imagine on the spectrum of projects that you work on cortex is relatively untime sensitive which is why we make a lot of different sorts of decisions about cortex yep. upgrade is way more time sensitive and particularly the WWDC episode is the most time-sensitive episode in a more time-sensitive show. Yeah, because when we're recording... So, like, I always say this. I say this about every show that I've made. I've said it on this show a bunch of times. I don't like recorded content just sitting somewhere. Mm-hmm. From the moment that I press stop on any show, including this one, the clock has started ticking. It's getting yep. old. And the longer I leave it until I release it, the worse I feel about it. With especially WWDC, the content is getting old immediately because yes. there's so much more information that is coming out after the keynotes and people are digging through web pages, they're downloading the betas on their phones, they're like finding that little details. That if I recorded that, like because our thing is we go live on the show basically as soon as the keynote ends. Mm-hmm. So if I waited and published it the next day, it's so old by that point. 
So like mm-hmm. it's it's just important to me to like get it done. And yeah, we could record the show on Tuesday and that would be great. And in some ways it would be better, in some ways it would be worse because it wouldn't have that kind of excited energy that we have because we've just watched the thing. Mm-hmm. It's about what type of show you want to make, right? And the type of show that I want to make for that episode of Upgrade is like immediate reactions what do we think you know and then there's like a spectrum of shows and it comes down to cortex where we not only record it at the end of the week and we always have mm-hmm. it also doesn't come out until the week after right right so by this point like that i know a bunch more stuff and the types of things we talk about and the way that we talk about it by the time we get to the show it's completely different mm-hmm. and you know we could you know in theory could record the show uh, on Tuesday and not release it until the next Tuesday because we want our immediate reaction. But then that's a completely different show to the one that we're making. And so that's why I will publish the show at half past two in the morning because the point <laughs> is that like we record it that day, I edit it, and then however long it takes is how long it takes, it goes out immediately, and then I fulfill what I wanted to. Yeah, it's it's like you want to maximize what things are in their good attributes. Mm-hmm. And and I think like I, I have that experience with your annual upgrade episode of, oh, it's fun to listen to, to, to get exactly that. What are the initial responses of two thoughtful people about uh, what we've just heard in WWDC before all of the information comes out? Like it's a very particular experience. Mm-hmm. And so like, I totally back your, like while, while normally with most of your shows, I would say, Mike, don't stay up that late. Like, don't do that. That's dumb. You have to know under what circumstances does it make sense to break the rules. And I think with a product that is delivering that thing, the excited initial response, and also what comes along with that is a lot of the initial wonderings that people have. Mm -hmm. Ooh, is it really this way or is it that way? Like, we'll find out. That has to, it just has to come out soon. So I do back your staying up until 4.30 in the morning to get it finished. Because then it means people like me can just listen to it the next day in the yep. UK. And it's like, oh, great. Upgrades here immediately. Like, I watched the thing late at night. I went to bed, did some work in the morning. And then, great, afternoon break. I can find out what the initial reactions are to what happened. So as a listener, I appreciate it. But as a friend, I'm very sympathetic yeah. to knowing how much knowing what your day is like. It did, it did result in a in like in a piece of follow up. I had another work hangover on Tuesday. Like I oh, wasn't right. just tired. It was like I was wrecked. But I planned for it. I had nothing booked in on Tuesday. That is a very good decision. Because I knew it was gonna be bad. What time did you say you were up until? Uh, I was up until half past four. I published at two thirty. Oh. I was at the studio as well. I went home. And I just couldn't sleep. I mean, plus, I mean, if if you are slamming a red ball at 11 p.m., it's going to mess you up anyway, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was one moment in the show where I ended up editing it out, but it was funny for me because I'd never done this before, where, you know, like when you yawn, you answer a question, like you say something when you yawn. Mm-hmm. Like I did that and I noticed mm-hmm. myself doing it. I was like, that's bad. <laughs> I was like, yeah, like that, you know? <laughs> right, like, right. Oh boy. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> right. Because to the average listener, it just sounds like you're super bored yeah. as opposed to the person who understands this is happening at one in the morning, this this back and forth. So Mike's <laughs> a little sleepy. It was just funny. Like I kind of caught myself doing it as I was doing it, you know, it was just like a funny little thing to have happened, but 
Yeah, so th- I publish that day just because I want to. It's important to me. But the the content is dictated by that release and the release dictates the content. Yeah, and it, it totally makes sense. And, and I think it's also just a case of, again, you need to know when to break the rules and when or when is it worth super pushing things on. Like not all projects are worth super pushing it on, Mm-mm. but sometimes they are. And like this is part of the decision-making process is realizing when does it make sense? And I agree with you that this is one of those cases where it makes sense, even though it can seem totally crazy to uh, to people sometimes of like, geez, does it really matter if it, you wait a day? And it's like, yeah, for some things it does, for other things it doesn't. And, and this is a case where it does, but... I'm also very glad to hear that you were able to plan ahead and not have anything, not have anything happen that day Mm -hmm. and just like work with that as opposed to last year where you seemed optimistic about how many things could happen in a day because you don't need to physically be there. So it's surely going to be way easier. (laughs) One of my very, very favorite iOS apps now has a Mac version. Timery. Oh. Long time listeners of this show know about Timery. And I purely just wanted to mention it on the show because Joe, the developer, has just done such a great job. When the M1 Max launched, I was really disappointed that the app wasn't available to download. Like I couldn't download the iPad version onto my Mac. Mm. And part of the reason for this was because Joe was working on a Mac version. So this is a catalyst version of Timery. And it's fantastic. I love it. And in a really interesting way, and we'll maybe talk a little bit more about this kind of stuff later on in the show anyway, this is one of those instances where in building a Mac version, it's made the iPad version better. Hmm. So he's added a bunch of features to the app in general because they were good for the Mac. So like, it now has on iPad like a sidebar interface, which is like something that was introduced last year at WWDC with these sidebars for iPad apps. There are more keyboard shortcuts now for the application. And also my favorite thing is you can set it so when you open a time entry, it drops like the text cursor into the description field. And if you start typing, it auto-completes projects and tags based on things that you've recently set. Mm. And I really like this feature. So like if I open it and I type C-O-R, it offers me podcast recording, podcast editing, or show prep all with the core text tag because they're Mm. things I've recently done. So I just, I really love this app. Joe has done such a great job bringing it to the Mac. And now I finally jettisoned the abhorrent toggle application into the moon and I will never see it again. (laughs) That thing has gone from my life and I am so happy. (laughs) Wow, jettisoned into the moon. I hate that toggle app. The toggle Mac app is just like, I don't even know why they bothered. They should have just had an Electron app based on the website. Like I just don't even know why they bothered with that little toggle app. So now I have the Timery app. I'm very happy to pay Toggle, the company, forever right. for their wonderful service that they provide. And mm-hmm. all of the great reporting tools that they have on their website, all super good. I do not know why they make bad apps right, <laughs> for setting up the timers. <laughs> but they have an API. Again, thank you, Toggle, for creating an API. I love that you did that. So then talented developers like Joe can build applications to plug into your API. Yeah, I wish more companies would follow that model of we do the core thing, but we also have an API and so people can build stuff on top of that. I am picky, clearly, with my software. Mm -hmm. The Toggle app for Mac does the job for so many people, but I want more out of it. Mm. You know, And that's why, again, I love that they have this API so then other developers can plug into it. But yeah, the the Mac app, the Timer Mac app is really, really great. I'm very, very, very happy that it exists now. 
Yeah, I, I'm literally installing it uh, as as we were speaking, and, and of course I'll almost certainly be emailing the developer with things that I want. <laughs> yeah, this was one of those. I was pretty early in the beta process for this one because mm-hmm. Joe knew how badly I wanted this, so he mm-hmm. sent me like one of the first builds, and I really love being able to i feel very privileged that i'm in a position where i can work with some developers to get the features that i want from their applications yes and so there were just some things especially around keyboard shortcuts and stuff where i just wanted them to work a very specific way and was able to make my case to joe and he implemented them that way and i was just really thankful for it so yeah i like being able to have that kind of input in places so yeah i will have to say like obviously i'm a very private person and i'm not a big fan of internet fame in very many ways but i'll tell you one thing that i do love is emailing developers sometimes with a feature request and it's like the hit rate for oh i listened to cortex like yeah sure i can add that keyboard shortcut is very high and it's like (laughs) that is one of the few times i'm always like okay this is a nice this is a nice benefit of uh some level of internet fame is like email a developer probability of cortex listener equals 90 percent. we need to get like some cortex branded email addresses to double our hit rate you know like get like gray at cortex and like at cortex right like really just double their hit rate in case anyone's searching that is not a bad idea yeah that is not a bad idea at all i may make a cortex brand email just for emailing developers to be like please recognize one of these words (laughs) recognize my name recognize the podcast title (laughs) this episode of cortex is brought to you by fitpod the fitness app that provides a personalized exercise plan a fitness plan that actually fits you because when it comes to fitness fitbob believes that everyone can be better whether you're working out three days a week twice a day more less it doesn't matter because fitbod's algorithm uses data and analytics to help you build on your previous workout so that your next workout is scientifically proven to be better than the last fitbod has been fine-tuned by certified personal trainers to bring the very best practices of strength training to you your workout program is tailored exactly to meet your needs making it perfectly suited to your unique body experience environment and goals because look it can be hard to know exactly how much exercise you should be doing. Fitbod figures that out for you so you don't have to worry about under or overtraining. Then it takes it one step further by helping you mix up muscle groups, exercises, sets, reps and weight to make sure that you're keeping yourself on top form and staying on a path that is right for you, helping you take the steps that you want towards becoming a better version of yourself. Whether you're working out at home, whether you have gym equipment, whether you're in a gym, Fitbod has a bunch of workouts tailored exactly to every need. They have options for everyone. Fitbod is there to help you with any exercise routine that you have. What I love about Fitbod is how easy they break all the exercises down and then back it up with little videos from their trainers so you can see exactly how the exercise should be completed. I find that really reassuring. Fitbod is available on iOS and Android, and you can get started right now just by going to fitbod.me slash cortex, and you'll also get 25% off your membership. That's fitbod.me slash cortex to try it out for free and get 25% off your Fitbod membership. Our thanks to Fitbod for their support of this show and Relay FM. Obviously, we have loads of very interesting and important things to talk about today. Yes, we do. But you put a header in our show notes. 
and I need to know more about it. And the header just says, Grey gets seriously, in italics, back into magic. And while I know what this means, there is a part of me that loves to imagine you pulling a bunny from a hat, right? Like, the, that's, that's like a nice little image in my brain. Right. You mean the technically, I guess, trading card game, but I guess it's not that anymore as well. Like, what is magic? <laughs> oh god i mean this is this is one of these things that i i just i like i don't even know i don't even know where to start maybe we can turn to wikipedia here right let me see okay. what, how wikipedia summarizes magic the gathering yeah, i'm actually quite curious what does wikipedia say magic the gathering oh is? my god this is a long one let's, uh, let's see how quickly i can get through this magic the gathering is a tabletop and digital that's the point that i was thinking of collectible card game released in 1993 by wizards of the coast a player in Magic takes the role of a planeswalker, doing oh, battle oh, with no. other it's players as planeswalkers by casting spells, using artifacts, uh. and summoning creatures as depicted on individual cards from their individual decks. A player <laughs> defeats their opponent, typically, but not always, by casting spells and attacking with creatures to deal damage to the opponent's life total, with the object being to reduce it from 20 to 0. Although the original concept of the game drew heavily from the motifs of traditional fantasy role-playing games such as Dungeons and Dragons, the gameplay bears little similarity to pencil and paper adventure games, while simultaneously having substantially more cards and more complex rules than many other card games. <laughs> oh, I hate that description so much. It sounds like you're doing one of the most boring things imaginable. That's <laughs> what it sounds like from, from this description. Oh my god, yeah, I mean this is... <sighs> It's one of these things where, how to put this, like, part of this is, I, I can't quite remember what context this ever came up in on the show, but I remember it because H.M. Boutte animated it for one of the Fantastic Cortex animated segments where, mm -hmm. for some reason, on some episode years ago, I mentioned, we're probably talking about hobbies or something, and I mentioned how I don't really have hobbies, but one of these things I've been circling around for years and years is people trying to get me back into magic. And I made an offhanded remark, look, I don't want to get back into this game because I know that the only way I'm going to get back into it is if I get seriously back into it. Like, there, there's no casual version of this. It's mm -hmm. like, I'm going to dedicate a huge amount of my mental space to this or I'm not going to do it at all. And so it's like, I'm just not going to get into this. But that's why it's like, well, time has come around <laughs> that here we are years later and through a variety of shark related <laughs> events, I've ended up getting back into this game and have gotten quite seriously back into this game. And I absolutely hate the description on the Wikipedia page. Mm -hmm. So like, here is the meta point about this so when you think about games games often have these two layers and it's true for video games and it's true for board games there is the mechanism layer of the game which is what are the rules and what happens mechanically in the game and then the way then you sort of translate that into a more human understandable thing is that on top of the mechanisms, you overlay a theme. So the Monopoly board game has a bunch of rules about how you move around the board and like what various squares do. But the theme of that game is predatory capitalism. And 
you can easily imagine that someone could have a game that has the exact same mechanisms where one player slowly has an edge and then grinds everybody else into the dust in an incredibly unfun way over the next two hours. But you could theme that in a totally different way. Mm. You could theme that as like medieval fantasy, right? You could theme that as sci-fi and have it have nothing to do with property and collecting rent. But all of the mechanisms could be exactly the same. And so... The reason that I mentioned this is, is I think like this game magic has one of the absolute most interesting game mechanisms that is like underneath the theme and the theme. I think that the company and the way that it works, they've done a, a fantastic job of once you get into it, the theme is really good, is really solid is very strong at world building, but it is incredibly repulsive to a lot of people when you first hear it described. It does sound like the most boring and nerdiest thing that can exist in the world. Mm -hmm. So I think the like the level of getting into this game is very, very hard for lots of people. I think the theme can really bounce people off. And it doesn't also help that the mechanics of the game are hugely complicated. But when you combine both of these factors, I think it is also not surprising that in the sort of nerd and geek world, magic has loomed large for like, I don't know, 25 years, something like that. I feel like it's had this very big place in nerd culture for a long time similar to dungeons and dragons yeah i do think right? yeah it, there is something very similar yeah. to dungeons and dragons with that of it's complicated it's weird it can be hard to get into but for the right kind of person you can super get into it and so sort of the the short version of of what happened here is i was working on my video about sharks sharks <laughs> yes thank you mike <laughs> Um, <laughs> I wanted to just do it one time. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, go for it. It's infectious. <laughs> it is infectious. It's it's totally infectious. We might touch on that later, but for a bunch of reasons that don't matter now, and I probably won't ever talk about, that Sharks project was without doubt one of the most stressful and hard videos that I've made in years, even though it doesn't look that way, and. After it was done, I just, I really needed something to take my mind off the project and to just like decompress with over the next few weeks to be like, okay, I need a break from this nightmare of a project. And the timing just happened to be right that Magic had recently released the sort of Mac version of their new online system. And I thought, okay, I streamed it. I was like, let me just play around with trying to relearn the rules and as i i fully expected what started out as a just casual stream of let me let me see what the game is like now i haven't you know i haven't played it in like 20 years turned very fast into a just complete obsession that 
culminated with me reaching number 681 in the world uh, as far as magic goes (laughs) that's a bit much I think there's a, there's a bunch of like lucky coincidences that help me rank that high. Do you have a sense for how big that number is? Like out of how many? <sighs> so I, I actually I was trying to figure this out. I couldn't log a good answer. But so so here's my estimate. Like the company that owns Magic, they published some estimate that they they want something like three to five million players eventually on their system. Mm-hmm. That doesn't tell you what the current numbers are. But the best that I could figure out is that there are these programs that people use as like assistance to when they're playing to help calculate some of the statistics automatically. And some of these programs report that they have hundreds of thousands of users. That's kind of what I was looking for, right? Like, I want to yeah. know, are you 681 out of 700? Or are you out yeah, exactly. of, like, millions? You know, like, I wanted to a ballpark. Hundreds of thousands yeah. is enough to still stick with my original surprise. Yeah, and it's a rank that, if I did want to pursue it, if I could maintain that rank, things run in seasons. But if I was able to hold that rank until the end of the season, like I'd get an invitation to one of their minor league pro events, right? Which is super <laughs> There's funny. nothing I want more than for you to do that. <laughs> I did yeah. something so fun for me to imagine you as like, yeah, I'm a pro gamer now. <laughs> I'm very, like, just to be clear, I'm very specifically not aiming towards that because the the moment you do well enough in the game to so, so basically like you have to be in the top 1200 to get a number at all mm-hmm. and the company pulls from the top 1200 players to fill out their in-person professional yep. competition leagues but it's like the moment that that you have a number I very intentionally was like okay this is a great accomplishment. I'm totally glad I've done it. It's also completely validated my prediction that the only way I was going to get back into this was very seriously. Mm-hmm. But also, this is the moment to consciously let go and to just like, don't care about the number anymore because that'll suck all of the fun out of it. Right? You're going to keep playing, but you're not going to keep checking your ranking. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Cool. I was concerned you were going to say that you've given up playing the game, which just seemed like you were punishing yourself. No, like I, I still totally want to play. Like it reminded me a little bit about when we talked about VR and I said how like mm-hmm. VR was a really fun experience like I haven't had in years. I can honestly say that with Magic, it's the same thing. Like there's something about it that's perfectly lined up with my brain that like I have not had fun like this in years. Like I just love it. But I also immediately recognize like the moment I was ranked, it's like, okay, you've got to just put this right out of your brain. Mm -hmm. Don't care about the rank. I played some more games after that top rank and like immediately plummeted down to 800 out of the top 1200. And it's like, that's fine. There's always a broader lesson here of anything that you do competitively, or I should say anything that humans do competitively, I think people don't appreciate the exponential level of difficulty. And so like you think about world chess champions, and at a certain point, if you're a professional chess player, you have the chess system that does the rankings of like, oh, what's your, what is your uh, score in chess? That is a shorthand for probability of winning against a player with another score. But once you get really high up into that system, that trying to beat the player who's the 500th best in the world is 
twice as hard at least as trying to beat the 600 best player in the world. And then also, when you're ranked like that, the thing that becomes very clear very fast is losing is brutal for the calculation of what your rank is. Like, wins get you very, very small increases in like, oh, your rank is great. And a loss is like, congratulations, you've just dropped 150 rank points. Yeah. And, you know, if you win three games in a row, you can go up five rank points. The statistics are in such a way that the minute differences between the players, right? You have this weird double effect yeah. that the players are incredibly good. And that also means if you are slightly off whatever the level is in your ranking, like you're going to plummet just brutally <laughs> and immediately. So that's why I was like, okay, don't think about this. Don't worry about this. Like, don't actually try to set a goal of doing any better. You don't really want to qualify for like the in-person competitions. The way I basically told it to myself is like, okay, cool. You've quote beaten the game and now you can just totally play for fun and it doesn't matter like yep. this is the best that you're going to achieve but it was really funny and i did quite enjoy it because I, I think there is something sort of absurd about going from oh i haven't played in 20 years and i don't know any of the basic rules to sub 1000 ranking in the space of like three weeks <laughs> i was trying to see if i could find a leaderboard and find you on it but i'm not having any luck yeah their their whole system is very strange yeah i happen to have wandered into the game at a very weird point in their time where i think like a lot of companies because of the pandemic they tried to change the way they do competitions because yep. obviously they can't do them you don't want to be collecting a thousand people from all across the world mm -hmm. into a stadium together like that's bad news so they've tried to switch to online and ev everything's like just totally up in the air right now it's kind of funny because a similar thing happened to federico he got ended up getting ranked pretty well with uh, competitive pokemon oh interesting also to the point i th i believe that if he would have continued down the path that he was on he could have been in the contention to be to go and compete in the in-person championships if they were such a thing at the time this kind of stuff where oh there's so many different areas of human activity and mm -hmm. every one of them is completely a world unto themselves and they all have their own weirdness and their own total self-involvedness so like part of the fun has just for me also just been trying to figure out like What's going on in the world of magic? How do the competitions work now? What's the company doing? It's funny to just get into these whole worlds where every world has their own little celebrities and it's just totally fascinating. But yeah, so this is the perfect kind of thing that just hooked into my brain 100% at just the right time to be a nice break from a very difficult project. And so yeah, I got very seriously back into magic <laughs> what do you enjoy about the video game because like you know so i have some of a basic understanding i think of this because i i used to play the pokemon trading card game mm -hmm. so like i feel like i get the I, I know rules are all different and stuff but you know like the idea of you build a deck you have your strategy and you want to play to the like you know the strengths of your deck that kind of stuff you have resource cards i'm sure i mean i've never played mm. magic i don't i don't know how the game is played but i just figured there can't be that many differences between most trading card games and then there's just the nuances of each game but like a basic level but what what do you enjoy about magic system and does it translate 
to the video game version. Yeah, so I th- I think as far as I can tell, magic is sort of the original version of this, like the genre establishing one. Yeah, I think it is. I think every competitive trading card game draws from magic in some way. It's like this is kind of like how I have been aware of it from when I played Pokemon cards, which is just knowing that magic existed. It was always at the same places that you would buy your Pokemon cards. And I believe, if I'm remembering rightly, that the original Pokemon card game was produced by Wizards of the Coast as well. Oh, interesting. That's That seems quite probable. Yeah, so if I want to try to describe abstractly what is going on and what is interesting and what is fun, there's there's a couple of key features here. So I think there's something that in particular video games do, but that magic hits really well, is I think asymmetry in games is super fun and very hard to pull off. And, and so what, what I mean by asymmetry here is if you think about chess, actually, I don't know, do you play chess, Mike? Or do you know the rules? I have played chess. I don't right. think I'm good at chess, but I've played chess. Yeah. Well, I know I'm bad at chess, actually, <laughs> but I yeah. played it. <laughs> yeah, so don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, I, <laughs> I never got super into chess. But chess is, to me, the world's most perfect example of a symmetrical game. Both players start out with the exact same pieces. And it's also perfectly symmetrical because at all times, you know what the other person is doing. It's all right there, totally on the board. Whereas if you take a game like poker, it's still very symmetrical, but it's a little bit less because you don't know what the other person has for sure. Mm -hmm. But you do know... They have cards in their hands. You know what ones you have, so you know what they don't. Yeah, you have, you know what cards they can't have because you are holding them and you can make some reasonable guesses. And I personally find that as you turn up the asymmetry dial, games become more interesting. But the reason most games don't do that is it's incredibly hard to balance a game where the players are more and more asymmetrical. You may or may not be familiar with it, but I feel like StarCraft II is a video game that's often held up as like the pinnacle of game asymmetry, where there's three very different sides with very different strengths, but they're well balanced. So it never feels like, oh, this one way to play is the best way to play. And I just think Magic may be the most asymmetrical game that has ever been created because you are each playing with your deck of cards. And at very abstractly, the idea is you want to use your cards in a better way than the other player uses their cards. But you just don't have any idea what the other person is playing in their hand. And the thing about Magic, which I think is unique compared to other games, is the number of cards are enormous. There is a limited version of the game and the limited version has 2000 possible different cards that a player can use which is already quite a large number for someone to even be familiar with to talk about setting limits here i think that's a good limit what do you, what do you mean 2000's a big limit that's right. a lot still so that is considered the limited game mm. that is the version of the game where it's like oh hey have you not played magic in 20 years you should start with limited there's only 2000 cards 
to become familiar with. If you want to play the historic version of the game, which means like all cards, that is 20,000 different cards. That's unmanageable. <laughs> right, so when, when I'd say like asymmetrical, if you are playing a historic game, even if you have played for years, it is still possible to be playing against someone and they use a card that you go, oh, I've never seen that card. <laughs> like yeah, I didn't even I, know that thing existed. That. Like, it's no strategy <laughs> for this card. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think that makes a game super interesting. And when I was a kid, I played magic a little bit like, you know, with kids in the neighborhood or a little bit, you know, with some kids at school who played magic. But one of the reasons I, I got super back into this is because I think the online version amps this up to 11 because when you're playing your friends in real life, you have some concept of, oh, what cards might they use or how does this person like to play? Mm-hmm. But when you're playing online and you just get randomly assigned some person, you have no idea like what do they like to play? What cards might they have? What strategy might they be trying to proceed? Interesting. I guess the online version gives everyone the ability to play what otherwise would have been competitive play. What do you mean by that? Because people going to competitions don't know their opponents. Yes, exactly. Most of the time, right? And as you're saying, like if you were playing as a kid, you were playing against your friends. Mm -hmm. And so eventually you not only would learn how they played, if you played a lot, you would learn Mm -hmm. what they had. Yes. And your friends, would, if they got something new, they'd probably tell you it anyway, right? Because yes, they're excited exactly. about the new card that they have. But in playing online, you know, it's like randomly assigned people. You have no idea what their strategy is or what cards they own. And yeah. if you are picking from a pool of 20,000, and I guess you're explaining it, like, oh, I find interesting is it is adding randomness to what would otherwise be assumed as a very kind of like limited game, right? Like, there's only so many things you can do in a card game and or it is just cards, right? Like ultimately mm-hmm. these are cards being played. But the element of there being so many potential options that can come your way adds a different dimension to it. But yeah, so I just think that that, that makes that like kind of brings this level of interest and excitement to the experience, which I think on the surface, if you didn't understand the game, you would think probably didn't exist. Yeah, so like I was trying to think about how do you explain to someone who's never played what might this game be like? And that's that's why I particularly cringe at that Wikipedia description because I feel so like boring it puts all the nerdery right up front yeah. and gives you no indication of what might be interesting. And so like I was trying to think about, okay, here's the best way I could describe sort of what the experience is like without actually explicitly talking about the game. So it's like, okay, imagine you were going to play chess with someone. But the way the game starts is the board is completely blank, except both of you just have your king on the board. You know, and so the basic rule of gotta catch the king is Mm -hmm. in place and it's chess. But then what happens every turn is that each player adds a piece to the board. But you don't know what pieces the other player has all of their pieces can do different things. And so there are constraints in which the game operates, but there's always these possibilities for surprise of Mm. like, oh, okay, this guy's added a piece that moves in a way that I've never seen before, and I need to deal with that. Or 
you can run into weird situations where like I just don't have very many pieces and like this other person has lots of pieces. And the thing that really gets me with the game is there are very many pieces which will change the rules about how all of the other pieces work. So again, it's it's a bit like, okay, not only are we just continually adding things to the board, but all of a sudden it'll be like, pawns can move backwards now. Rooks can jump over pieces. So right? these are certain cards you can play, they change the rules of the game. It's not that there's a rule change, it's that a card forces the rule change. Yes. So okay. one of the things that the game is delightful about is explicitly having cards that change the whole win conditions of the game. And that can happen at, especially when you're playing against random people, it can happen at any moment. And you're like, oh no, <laughs> right? Like I am not prepared for this, but that's also what makes it super fun. So there can be cards where it's like, suddenly I tend to be a very defensive player, but there can be cards that are like, if you play defensive, you will just lose in three turns. So like it forces you to suddenly play very differently from the way that you intend to play. And I, I think that can be super interesting. And I think you can, without a doubt, make an argument that magic is the most complicated game that humans have made. Because with all of these cards and all of their interactions, the possibilities can just totally explode of like, what can occur in a game? And the thing that is, is like a great example of this is that the magic game is Turing complete. Which means you can simulate an entire computer just by the interactions of the rules of the cards. Many games are Turing complete. Like we discussed Minecraft a couple of episodes ago. And you know, oh, right, the redstone stuff in Minecraft lets you build computers. Like that's the computery stuff inside of it. Or if you play Factorio, it's like, oh, right, there's red and green wires, and that's all the computery stuff. But those games explicitly added elements that were there to add computer programmery stuff into them. Whereas the magic Turing complete stuff is totally unintentional. Like the game designers never intended to say, oh, people should be able to simulate arbitrary computing functions within our game. No, they just made so many cards with so many rules and so many weird edge cases that they accidentally built a system where someone can build a computer out of their cards, which to me is hilarious. I don't even understand what that really means. Like, I can't <laughs> get my head around that. You've really broken me. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you've seen the stuff in Minecraft where, like, someone builds the Minecraft yeah, game yeah. inside Minecraft. Oh, I, I've I've seen, like, you know, like, full video games inside of Minecraft. Yeah, I've, I've seen that yes. kind of stuff. But it's a computer game, so I understand how you can make a computer out of it. Right, right. This is what I mean. But, like, so with the Magic the Gathering cards, it gets to the question of, like, what is a computer? Mm -hmm. And a computer means you need to have a certain number of ways that you can manipulate information. And... I'll just leave it at the magic cards are capable of doing that. Like okay. it would take you a hundred million years, but you could with magic cards recreate the game of Minecraft that also simulates Minecraft inside of it. Right. And it's no, like totally I don't, no, accidental. I don't, no, I don't get it. No, 
no, no, don't get that. You did it again. You like brought it to a point where I was like, oh, I think I'm getting it. And then no, you pulled the rug out from under me. I'll put a link to a guy made a video about it that's based on a computer science paper that some total geniuses wrote that I read through and was like, oh my God, my brain hurts so much, but this is also so cool, where they just proved that Magic the Gathering is Turing complete. But what I just mean to show by that is... The variance of what can happen in a game is incredibly high. And you can just constantly run into things where it's like, I've never seen that before. Or, wow, I just lost in three minutes in a way that I didn't even know was possible. Like, (laughs) that's so cool. (laughs) Um, If someone has watched my videos, I think it can be pretty clear that there is a part of me which really enjoys figuring things out and trying to figure out like what are the rules of this complicated system and that's why i have known for years that this is a game that if i ever got back into it like i just would not be able to let it go because Mm -hmm. it's just perfectly designed for exactly this kind of thing of it's an incredibly complicated system but it is also an understandable system if you can put enough time into it. It's just that the variance in difference is incredibly high. How do you collect the cards in the virtual game? They do the same kind of thing that a lot of these companies do where there are virtual packs that you can buy. You can also do it just as like a free-to-play player, depending on how much time you want to put in. Right. But you can just buy packs and then you have cards. I mean, people always complain about the way companies run things, but I think they have done some very clever things with how do you get cards that are rarer by having sort of like a wild card system where it's like oh you haven't gotten a card but you can trade this in for a card of uh, equivalent rarity if you haven't just gotten it by randomly purchasing the packs i just want to do like we talked before about developers knowing the show i just i just have to do a little shout out to i don't know if any of the programmers who work on the magic system listen to the podcast But if they do, I just want to say, like, I think those guys must be total heroes (laughs) for trying to program this into a game system. Mm. Because the, the thing that is difficult to explain here is, and this is one of the things that I like about the game, is it's a little bit like edge case the game. So one of the things that's super fun is you try to find combinations of cards that were never intended to work together but can work together in a very strange way and then use that to win but it means that like pro i cannot conceive of what a programming nightmare this must be to try to make it's also why this has been like a multi-year project for the company And they are not remotely close to replicating all 20,000 cards in their system. Like, they are adding old ones as fast as they can. But it's like, oh my god, what I I genuinely mean it that it may be one of the most pain-in-the-ass programming jobs on the face of the earth to try to add in the old magic cards. Because all of them just constantly change the rules about how the game works. And debugging that must be a complete nightmare. You know when your computer freezes up, yeah, like you get the spinny beach ball. Yeah. And sometimes you may wonder, like, why doesn't the operating system just quit this program that we know is frozen? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, the computer's given me the spinny beach ball. So it knows something's wrong. Right? It knows something's up. Like, why do I have to be the one who force quits the program? And the answer to that 
is this is what's known as the halting problem in computer science where, sorry, computer scientists, if I butcher this a little bit, but the gist is you cannot use a computer program to determine with 100% certainty that another computer program is stuck in an infinite loop, that it's, that it's not going to work its way out of whatever problem it's stuck into. So that's why you as the human have to force quit because there's mathematically no way for the computer to know for certain, is this program stuck forever? Or is it going to finish any second from now? Like, you just can't know that. And it's also why sometimes you get the spinny beach ball and then you go get a cup of coffee and you come back and your computer's fine because it was just working through something that was just going to take a super long time. Well, because this card game is Turing complete, it has the exact same problem. There are lots of situations in the game that can come up where it's like, oh, is this loop just going to happen oh, infinitely forever? It's just a stalemate. <laughs> like there's, you, can, you can get your two players and get themselves into a situation where there is no way out. Yes, and there's some really funny videos where neither player wants to hit draw, but some action has been occurring automatically for eight hours. And both people refuse to be the one to like, I'm not going to log off the system and give you the win, right? But neither player can do anything. Like a series of actions is just triggering more actions infinitely forever, right? But the programmers can't know when that's happening, right? So they can't like program into the rules oh we know for sure this loop is just going to go on forever yeah so we can declare it a draw could just be playing really slowly or whatever right like there's no way of even you can't even do it by time elapsed. yes you can't do it by time elapsed so that's one of the reasons why like very few games would have this sort of property and also the sort of nerds who are attracted to this game love to set up that kind of nonsense right like oh let me try to exploit it in every possible way so i think you have both sides of it of like this is really hard to program and also it attracts people with programmer mindsets who are looking to exploit the system like that is actually explicitly part of the game is exploit the way all of these thousands of weird rules interact with each other in unexpected ways. So I just like, I cannot imagine what it's like to try to program this thing, but to to the people on the Magic Arena team, cheers to you. Uh, <laughs> I would not want your job, but thank you for doing it. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by our good friends at Memberful. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience used by the biggest creators on the web, helping you generate sustainable, recurring income whilst diversifying your revenue stream. You may have heard us talk about Mortex, our longer ad-free version of Cortex. What you might not know is that Memberful is the platform that we use to power that program. They make it super easy to generate that extra revenue stream whilst helping us deliver bonus content to our members. I love what Memberful has allowed us to do in being able to create these podcast feeds that can be delivered to people. They're personalized for every person, so they get exactly what they need. When they're paying, they receive it. If they stop paying, it's canceled automatically. It has helped us really grow what we're able to offer to members, and we just could not do it without Memberful. Maybe you're already producing content, relying on advertising or other means of income. Memberful makes it easy to diversify that with everything that you need to run a membership program. They give 
give you custom branding, the ability to gift subscriptions. They have Apple Pay built right in. You can create free trials, private podcasts, and tons more while leaving you with full control and ownership of everything that relates to your audience, your brand, and your membership. If you're a content creator, Memberful can help you monetize that passion. Get started for free today at memberful.com, no credit card required. That's M-E-M-B-E-R-F-U-L.com. Go there now and check it out. It could be the start of something exciting. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of this show and Relay FM. So it has now been two years since we launched the Theme System Journal. Wow. Which is quite a thing. So 2019, our WWDC 2019 episode is when we launched the journal to the world. That both feels too long and too short. That could be one of those like pandemic time weirdness things as well, right? Where it's like, you know, it's just a strange time that we've been going through. True. So in those two years, we've sold now over 15,000 journals, which feels like a fantastic thing to say. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of various delays and supply constraints, <laughs> we've sold more than half of those in 2021 alone, right? right. So in the in these past six months, we've sold more than we sold in the last year and a half before that. And now we have, I think, our supply management under control in a way. Mm-hmm. I, I'm feeling pretty confident about things now. I'm very confident it's all solved um, because oh, I don't God. have to directly deal with any yeah. of it. <laughs> I don't hear about these problems anymore, so I'm convinced they're solved. <laughs> so for these two things coming together, like now that the product's been around for a while, we finalized basically what this product is. Mm-hmm. And now that we've got on our stock management under much more control, we're about to now launch a new thing that we've been trying to do for a while, which is mm. subscriptions to the Theme System Journal. This is something that we've wanted to do for a long time, since like the beginning. And it's something that people have said to us, hey, why don't you just launch a subscription and it'll help with your stock management problems? Mm-hmm. The problem was it couldn't until we had a consistent and mostly reliable supply chain, right? Yes. Which we now have been able to secure. So we are now starting an option for a quarterly rolling subscription. Now, we're kind of, especially me, referring to this as kind of like a beta process. Yeah. Because we've, and this is why we are launching it in the middle of the year and not at the start of the year. So if there are things that we need to iron out, we have time to do them before what is arguably, not actually not arguably, definitely the focal point of a product like this, which is the end of the year, the beginning of a year, right? of course. So we didn't want to launch it then because that would have been madness, frankly. Mm -hmm. And also as well, we're working with our good friends at Cotton Bureau and we're working on this together. They they have not done this before. This is the first product that they have worked on with a subscription model built into it. Big thanks to them for helping us get this worked out. Yes, definitely. This is the way that we're doing it for now, right? And again, beta, because things can change, but this is the, the plan. So... When you subscribe, you get sent a journal immediately and you then get entered into the shipping for the next quarter's journal. So if you become a subscriber of the Theme System Journal, at the start of every quarter, you will have a journal because it would have been delivered to you before then. So this is October 1st, January 1st, April 1st, July 1st. You will have a journal arrive with you before that point. Right, So we are going to start shipping them out a month before that date mm. with the hope then that they will arrive with people in time. So when you go to buy at cortexmerch.com, 
your timeline is indicated on the page. So it will say like, if you buy now, it will be shipped at this point and your next journal will be shipped at this point, right? Right. So one of the worst things you could do is to order between that time period. Like this is the thing that we're working out. Like if you ordered on like September 2nd, right. <laughs> you might end up with a point where you might have like a week where you don't have a journal, but that's only going to happen that first time and then it will work out. And again, this is just, we're trying to work out the logistics of all this stuff, right? Like we're all new to this. Yeah, it's, it's very like- it's So complicated. This is why it is a beta program. And yeah. I think it's, it's very fair to say like, we definitely want feedback on this mm -hmm. because this is, again, when we first talked about this forever ago, you pitched me on the idea of subscriptions and I was like, oh yeah, of course, like that's, that's definitely a thing to do. And then when we finally get the logistics set and then the details come around to be like, okay, so what actually happens when someone presses buy? And you realize, oh, in my head, I had a vague, completely unthought out way that this would just be perfect. But now that we need to figure out the real details, it's harder to try to figure out mm -hmm. what is the situation that makes everyone the happiest. The real easy way of doing this is you press buy now and you get one on October 1st. Right. But that sucks. But yeah, but that's exactly it. Like, I think that's not what most people want to no. have happen. You want, when you press buy, your internal feeling is, I have bought this. I would like this now, please. Mm -hmm. What you don't want is someone to have purchased something just after the seasonal changeover. And then they have to wait three months for the next journal to show up. Like, that's a terrible experience. Mm -hmm. But this is also like, we're just testing this now because we're trying to think of what is the best way to do this. But we definitely want feedback for, okay, now that this is going to start interacting with the real world, is this what people want and expect? Like they get a journal now and then they are put onto the seasonal delivery schedule. Like we think this is the best way, but we're not 100% sure. Because mm -hmm. it's like, it's also, you know, this is kind of like a pretty decent time to launch it because if you bought it now and you started using it on July 1, which is mm -hmm. would be kind of the expectation, right? Because you're starting a new quarter, and especially by the time you know it ships out to you or whatever, then you'll be good. You'll be golden because they last for 90 days. You should have your journal before 90 days is up, and mm -hmm. that's it. So again, we, this is like a thing that we're just trying to work out. But there is incentives to you if you do this, by the way. This isn't just for mm -hmm. our logistical management process there's a few things so not only do you make sure you have one when you want one because this will be a thing that if we as we're managing stock we're keeping an eye on how many do we need at a certain point all that kind of stuff we're making the journal cheaper for subscribers so currently the theme system journal is 25 dollars. if you buy it one off quarterly subscribers get the journal for 20 dollars mm -hmm. and extras <laughs> as tokens of our appreciation there will be little things included in the package that only subscribers to the Thieves Mr. Journal will get the first ones are some stickers the only people that are going to get these stickers are Thieves Mr. Journal subscribers and we're just going to it's not going we're not going to like uh, change the world with these but they're just little <laughs> small tokens of our appreciation that subscribers get as well as a discount mm -hmm. so i think that's pretty great and we want the feedback from people so if you do subscribe let us know what the experience is like and the way it will work is leading up to the point where the next payment is going to be taken 
Cotton Bureau will send you an email. They'll confirm. So if you have any changes you want to make, like maybe you've right. moved, you can do that. It's super easy to do that. You just contact them and they'll do that. And again, we're building out a system together over time, depending on feedback. So this is like the next stage. I'm pleased that we're launching it now and not in uh, November. I would so. not want to be launching this in November. <laughs> no, sir. So we have like a good six months to get this like truly shored up. I subscribed because it's good for me, I suppose. Although I have just stacks of these things, but nevertheless, yeah, it's like, like anyway. do you need a discount on your theme system journals? I'm pretty sure you've got like in your house right now more than enough for the rest of your life. <laughs> this only applies to me and you, but if we are logged into our own account, they are free. Oh, sweet. That only applies to me and you, uh, but you know, because we pay for the things already. So then not f- truly free. We've actually lost money by doing that. But nevertheless, so don't, don't get like a thousand of them because that's only money out of our pockets. But yeah, so like if we're approaching a new half of the year. So if you've got a new seasonal theme that you want to work on, this could be a great time to do that. So you can go to cortexmerch.com. You can check out that. We also have the subtle notebook, which by the way, this idea, if it works we could potentially look at other products to do on subscriptions too, mm. right? So, you know, we have the Subtle Notebook as well. I'm working on another product mm-hmm. that I think people might want on a somewhat seasonal basis or on a frequent basis. So this is us trying to understand, is there a market for it? Does it make logistical sense for us and yeah. customers? Um, and we'll see where it goes from there. Cortexmerch.com wwdc time wwdc i've been getting lots of people telling me that they they want this episode of cortex that like they they need to know how we feel about certain things oh yeah any anything in particular that the people want to know about i'm just gonna say (laughs) can't imagine i don't think that that we necessarily have that much of an impact on the decisions that apple decides to make with their operating systems however this mm. felt like a very Cortex WWDC. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we, we like we can all just acknowledge right here that when Megan Frost came out with the map section of uh, WWDC mm-hmm. and London was the central focus was the, of why the was it slot number one on that list, right? London understand. number one on the list. Very first image that they showed on the screen was a beautiful 3D rendered London. It was like, I see you, Maps team. I know you're talking directly to Cortex. <laughs> I get it. Message received. So, so yeah, well, like for sure. Maps, a screen time API, <laughs> which we were the only people asking for, shortcuts <laughs> on the Mac, iPad multitasking changes, and effectively the entire system that you've been wanting to build with downtime, which is well, yeah, we'll focus mode. <laughs> now, okay, let me... Nothing is ever going to be exactly as you want. However, you have been trying to use downtime, which is mostly a parental control feature, to allow you to somewhat automate the apps that you use on your device and the notifications that you receive during those periods of time. And that is effectively what Apple is also trying to do with something called Focus. Yes. Now, Focus is now an umbrella term that includes Do Not Disturb. So Do Not Disturb is now a focus mode. Right. 
And effectively, this allows you to build your own profiles for custom notifications and attention. So you can choose who you want to contact you, what apps you want to contact you, if there are certain apps that you want to send what quote unquote time sensitive notifications. And you can also program custom home screens that show when you have these modes enabled. I think this is really cool. Yes. Although I'll, I'll just say it now. But we're going to talk about focus modes, but don't let me forget, you actually missed another Cortex-specific feature in this WWDC that I, I want to mention later. Don't let me forget that. Okay. But yeah, the, the focus mode thing, it, it seems very interesting. I've installed the developer beta <laughs> me too. on my phone oh, no, and I my done iPad that. and my computer. I didn't install it on the writing computer, you know, because of course. You know, I my heart leaps into my mouth there for a second. <laughs> I just I just wanted to let you know, right? Like, don't worry, Mike. The writing computer upon which I record podcasts does not been updated. Writing computer is now beta computer as well as the other things that it does. <laughs> right. Writing computer is not beta operating system testing computer i wouldn't do that to you mike don't worry i mean that wouldn't make any sense right why would i mean that? like it would not make any sense to add other features to the writing computer it's just for writing well no, well no the 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 unnamed feature right now i desperately do want on the writing computer but we'll get to that later but mm. i i held back for you and also with the certain knowledge that all of my streaming software would totally break on the developer beta. Like, it barely works yeah. on the regular release. Like, there's yeah. 0% <laughs> chance any yep, of that's going to that work on a beta. would have it. You would have been <laughs> done. I was like, literally can't. But I, I, I was trying to remember, I think this is maybe one of the only, maybe the second time ever I've installed the developer beta and not waited for the public beta. Mm. And it was mainly for that other feature. But I did also want to see the focus mode stuff because... I mean, people send me messages and they're like, Apple's made a thing totally for you. And so it's like, yes, yes. But the devil is in the details. I will say that I am cautiously optimistic about yep. the focus modes. There's some parts of it that I feel like I'm still trying to figure out how they work. And there's some things where I can't quite tell if it's just a glitch in the beta or if this is the way something is supposed to work. But I'm honestly surprised that Apple would make a system like this. Like I think it's much more complicated than I ever would have expected yes. Apple to do. It feels very un Apple-y. Like I'm don't get me wrong, very appreciative. But when you annoyingly told me about this rumor months ago, just to annoy me, I, I was the feeling like <laughs> Apple's never gonna do this. Like this is just totally un Apple style. But they did, and I was totally shocked to see that they have these like three or four default settings that they want to try to set you up with. It's like work and personal and a couple others, but that you can also add whatever other ones that you want. Just completely arbitrary. Yeah, things. completely arbitrary number of these things. That they're also integrated into uh, shortcuts so that you can turn them on and off with automation. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I say I'm... I'm cautiously optimistic about these features honestly one of the things that surprises me the most is immediately it's on every device and this was actually a really interesting thing about wwc mm. this year is how many features the mac got as well as ios yes yes i was very happy to see that this year it it felt like 
slow unification would be the two way and and i mean slow in the best of all possible ways yeah there weren't a bunch of radical changes in one place that didn't work other places it's like everything got better together i think that this is the benefit of underlining technology changes so yeah one having their own chips because there are some features in macOS monterey that are only available for m1 max Mm. and then the other thing is tools like swift ui which are cross-platform development languages mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and Swift and Swift UI. So, like for example, Shortcuts, which is coming to the Mac, that was built in Swift UI and AppKit. Mm. So they could also build the new version for iPad OS and iOS in Swift UI and UIKit. Mm-hmm. So that's how a lot of this stuff is able to work. So I think what we are seeing is again, it's not that they're unifying the operating systems but they are unifying some of the things they need to advance the operating systems, which allows them to bring features everywhere at once, which I think is fantastic. No, I completely agree. One of the, uh, you know, there's always stuff that you find when you install the beta that they don't mention in WWDC. And the, uh, the tiniest example of this, which made me super happy was low power mode on the iPad. It's like, oh my God, yeah. they finally brought low power mode to the iPad. Yeah, it's on the Mac too. Is it? Oh, yep. wow. I didn't, even, I didn't even realize Again, that. Probably one of the reasons it's on both of them is they wanted to add it to one of them. I, honestly, right. I expect it was probably for the Mac. They were adding mm. it for the Macs and then they just did it to the iPad too. I just think like the iPad is a device where I'm, I'm often wanting low power mode. I've always found it frustrating that it's not on there. And I was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. Like, great, please bring these features everywhere. And I didn't realize it was for the Mac as well. That Like, that's doubly great and reemphasizes this concept of, oh, unification across the platforms. So cool. But yeah, just to completely talk about the focus mode stuff. The one thing I'm not sure about, which I think is mostly a bug, but the experience that I've had is... It doesn't seem consistent to me about, say you have a focus mode on Mm -hmm. and someone sends you a notification. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that notification appears on the lock screen when you just open the phone and sometimes it doesn't. I think that's a bug, but I'm not 100% sure. And, And that's the one part that I feel very like concerned about which way does this behavior go i would recommend maybe keeping an eye on what apps are doing that one of the things that has changed i believe with these versions of ios and ipadOS is notifications can now be set a priority ranking i think there's four rankings yes yes and they show up in different ways so if it's third-party apps they just they haven't been able to do any of this stuff yeah, no. so uh, like um, it's it's um, iMessage is the one that is always my main concern. Like, oh, uh. this has always been my like uh, iMessage. Mm. You know, so I just, sometimes I just don't want you in the mornings. And like e- even today, it was interesting. Like we were we were messaging a little bit, um, getting ready for the show, and I had on my most restricted focus mode. And sometimes your messages were showing up on the lock screen and sometimes they were not. And so that just felt that like... That feels like a bug buggy, then. That's, yeah, that's buggy a bug behavior. then. Because if you have it set that way and sometimes it works, like that that feels like that's the intended thing. And then when it jumps through, it's the way it's not supposed to work. I, I, that's what I would assume. So you think the default behavior is that it shouldn't show up on the lock screen? 
that's what you think is should be the default behavior. I mean, if you've said that you don't want to hear from me. Well, okay. So let me let me pull up the actual. There's there's an option in here which I find so strangely worded. So if you if you go into your focus modes and yep. then you go into the extra options, dim lock screen. No, it's not the dim lock screen. It's the delayed delivery one. I feel like is my brain not working? But I have such a hard time understanding this sentence. Notifications you receive yeah. that are not in your allowed list will be delivered directly to notification center until the focus is turned off. So when you go to notification center, there are now, so I'm in do not disturb right now. Mm-hmm. And I have two things. One is upcoming hmm. and one is notification center. And the upcoming is a like collection of things where I just see that there are apps and it's effectively storing these notifications until later on and it's called while in do not disturb right and so what what that's meant to do and i think it might not be doing it completely consistently right now right right, right. that delayed delivery is collecting up all of your notifications and keeping them in that little area and then when you're right. done it just goes like bleh, and you get them all <laughs> right but so in notification center you can see that you have upcoming notifications yes the only thing that didn't feel very cortexy to me was every time on stage i think it was craig was doing the presentation where he was talking about the way notifications are going to be collected into summaries. He said like three times, don't worry, not people. And I was like, no, no, I want the people. Like people notifications or app notifications, it's all the same to me. Like it's right? like I do want to collect, you know, people notifications into yeah. whatever these systems are. And I just, I thought it was funny that several times he, he like wanted to, I don't know, kind of like allay people's concerns of don't worry, your friends will always be able to contact you. And I'm sitting there like, no, no, I don't want my friends to always be able to contact me. They're the worst part. (laughs) So that's partly why when I was watching it, I was like, oh, no, this is going to be another one of these things that everybody thinks is custom built for me and actually just completely ignores the one problem that I actually have. Yeah, so I find that thing slightly strangely worded. And this is also the like Apple's language for what is where can be a little bit confusing. So. Like the lock screen is not the notification center, but if I if I'm in a focus mode and I swipe down, that brings up notification center. And then what do I see there at different times? Like, I don't know. I'll just have to see, uh, you know, a couple of betas in. But what I'm hoping is that the expected behavior with flipping the right switches is that if someone messages me, that doesn't show up on the lock screen. You know, my thought here is to clarify, it's like, it's not so much notifications that are really the thing that I'm concerned about. It's like distraction is the thing. And even if I don't see what a notification is from someone unintentionally running into like, oh, overnight you got five messages from people. That's a distraction to the sort of flow in the morning. So that's all I'm hoping is like there's a way to hide that without having to use the god awful downtime system, which I've turned off to try to figure out how to make the focus modes work. I feel pretty confident that this system can do that, but it might just be a little too early in the cycle for it to be working reliably. The the one thing in this little presentation in the, the focus mode section, they said about how this system ties into the custom home screens yeah. and your ability yeah. to select which pages show up. That's amazing. I like I had my mind blown by that part of it. And and is also one of those little moments where you know so- sometimes with Apple it can be very frustrating. It feels like things move very slowly. They add features so slowly. 
But the real power they have is integrating and connecting all of their little features together. And this is the one where it's like, oh my God, that multiple home screen thing suddenly makes a hundred times more sense. Mm -hmm. Like, why did they add that feature? It's to connect it to this. Especially the fact that you can turn them on and off. Yes. So I was like, okay, great. Like I was thinking about how I've had, you know, different iPads and it's like, oh, this is the research iPad and this is the couch iPad. It's like, man, with this focus mode stuff, if I can turn on and off the different ways that the home screen looks, that goes a long way to not needing to mess with multiple devices mm -hmm. and just being able to have one device. So whoever whoever had that big brain moment at Apple of connecting up those features, wow, chef's kiss, like what a perfect thing. <laughs> and one of the so super good. weird things, which is like, again, like I love when they make the weird decision is you can have multiple instances of the same app on home screens. Yes, I was very glad to see. It. That was one of the things I wanted to play with right away. It's like, okay, but can I have multiple things? It's like, oh, fantastic. So if you wanted to have like, I don't know, the notes app on your work home screen, your research home screen, your personal, yeah. you can be on all of them. And then there yeah. has been funny things where people put like the Twitter app as every icon on their home screen. There's been like a little meme <laughs> going around the last couple of days. I haven't seen that, funny. but that's fantastic. I mean, it might be a bug right now that you can put the same app on multiple times on the same home screen like that that feels redundant yeah but that's also hilarious but please leave that it's in very now. Oh, that's funny, just funny. <laughs> yeah, i think this is super cool like i'm i'm really into this feature like i've, I've only just started tinkering with it like i haven't mm -hmm. truly set one up the way that i would want to um, especially because i actually think for me this system will be best on my mac yes than yeah. on my ios devices because i would want to set up a i am recording focus mm -hmm. right because that's when for me i want the most restriction because yeah. i i have my mac on do not disturb all the time but there are instances where i would like some notifications but if i turn them all on for messages i'm going to get every iMessage, and i don't yes. want that you know so i like the fact even that i can have people as well as applications and and i do believe it will be possible for developers of third-party messaging apps to integrate with this so hmm. for example if you had me turned on and i messaged you in slack it would still alert you oh that's really interesting hmm You've got to call that focus mode live, all caps. Like okay. that's got to be the name of your I'm recording now. I mean, like, I was just know. going to call it recording, but clearly no. I'm not inventive enough. No, live, right? Just live. You know, like the old, old timey big, big red sign outside the door. Like Mike's live now. This live. Is, that's what that focus mode is for sure. <laughs> and it probably could tie into HomeKit and turn on a red light. Yes. Yeah, that's it great. genuinely probably could do that. I'm going to look into mm -hmm. it because this is like super interesting that you can automate them like focus modes have an automation like do not disturb it so you can say like turn mm -hmm. on between these times but you can also automate it with a shortcut mm. so you can add it to a shortcut so like for me i have a shortcut that i use currently when i record which sets a timer and puts my device on do not disturb but now it will set a timer in timery and then put all of my devices at once in the i am recording thing so yeah super cool the 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 across all devices thing is is just fantastic yep. like that's that's partly what makes it a just a completely killer feature and yeah that automation with the home screen stuff again like there, i just haven't had enough time to truly 
play around with it since putting on the developer beta because I gave myself a day where I was like, no, it's so stupid to put on the developer beta. And then I eventually cracked and was like, no, but I, I need to. I have to play around. But I, I just love the idea of just all of the connections that can happen now. Like if I'm on my iPad setting a timer that's like, oh, the writing timer starts now and it puts it in the focus mode. But it also changes what's on the home screen so that the various apps that I need when I'm writing are more accessible right there on the home screen. And I, I don't need to try to design a dock that works under all circumstances. Like mm -hmm. I just I think it's so well done. I'm really happy with all of that. Also, just a little feature that I was very glad to see there and, and grateful to whatever engineer put it in is just the option to hide the badge notifications yeah. as well. So yeah. it's like... That, again, is where my concern is. It's not just notifications, it's distractions. And it's like, okay, great. It's very relieved to see the option to say, I don't want to see badge numbers is there as well. I was like, oh, thank God. I'm so happy that's there. And is a sign of like, this is thinking about it in the way that I'm hoping that they're thinking about it. I'm surprised of how fiddly it is. It's a pretty fiddly UI, right? Like, you go in and you set a bunch of checkboxes and that's it's not typically the kind of stuff that we see from apple like they want to do it for you right yeah but i like everything's off when you try and set up a new focus mode and you have to turn stuff on manually i'm like yes this is what i wanted there is a there is a little checkbox of like would you like us to to change these like a, a smart detection no <laughs> don't want that i'll tell you when to do it don't you try and do it for me <laughs> right that's yeah. how bad stuff happens when i quite enjoyed happening a few times and i was never in a good spot to turn it off was in the old system do not disturb had an automatic option for turn on do not disturb while driving yeah and i discovered that riding my bike is apparently enough to make that think that i'm driving a car and so like i'd be on my bike and someone would send me a message and be like i'm driving now I'd be like what <laughs> like how are you doing that you don't have a license in london you can't be driving now <laughs> it's like apple you must know i have running on my watch like currently cycling outdoors how on earth do you think that i'm driving a car right now so i saw that too and it made me laugh i was like you're not gonna predict when i want to do serious work i'll tell you what i'm doing serious work this episode is brought to you by linkedin jobs today many small business owners are busier than ever and because they're focusing on managing and growing their business they can't always spend the time that they wish they could on recruiting and that is why linkedin jobs has made it easier to find and hire the very best candidates for free it is daunting when you have to go through this process of hiring people. It can really be difficult to know where to look. Having this built into LinkedIn, having your job available on LinkedIn, that is the professional network. You are going to find the candidates that you need. And what I really love about the LinkedIn Jobs platform is you can access it all from the iOS app as well. So if you have a job out there, you can be reviewing candidates when you're on the go. Super awesome. Get started by posting your job for free to reach LinkedIn's network of 740 million professionals. You can fill out targeted screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience, skills, and motivation that you need. Then use simple tools to filter and prioritize the top candidates that you'd like to interview. You know, I've been through this process before of hiring people. And when you do find that right person... Truly magical things can happen. Your business will run better than it ever did before, operating at a greater scale. And if you can find that right person, 
That's awesome. And you'll find that person with LinkedIn Jobs because everybody's there. LinkedIn Jobs will help you hire the right person for your role. And your first job post is free. Just visit linkedin.com slash cortex. That's linkedin.com slash cortex to post your first job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for their support of Cortex and all of Relay FM. So iPadOS has a more refined multitasking mode. Okay. They've not completely upended everything. This is not mm-hmm. the complete rethink that people were hoping for or thinking. There's no windows. There's no external monitor support. Mm-hmm. To me, this feels like a better foundation to work from going forward. I think this is the best implementation mm. of this system, which is now six years old. Oh, right? God. And That's brutal. Now, this system of side-by-side app and a slide-over app you know, that's the way it's been for this amount of time. And in that whole time, the way that you've done it is a various modes of dragging things around with your fingers, right? And with the iPad OS 15 multitasking, they've added two things, which I think are fantastic. One is this little pill that sits at the top of every open application, which you can tap. And it mm-hmm. will allow you to either set that app as a full screen, set it as a split screen, or put it in slide over. Fantastic. Mm. Super easy. But the big thing is they have added keyboard shortcuts for everything. So okay. this is my favorite part. Here's my question about keyboard shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Because you say for everything, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm having a hard time with some of the keyboard shortcuts. And this is, some of this is 100% developer issues because I get hilarious crashes sometimes. And yep. then the language of my keyboard changes, which I find super Interesting. fun. <laughs> Here is the use case that I don't think they have a keyboard shortcut for but I hope I'm just misunderstanding. So let's say I'm on my iPad. I have two apps side by side. Mm-hmm. I've got Obsidian and I've got Ulysses open and I'm, I'm working away. And then I go, hey, you know what? I want to put on some of my writing music to listen to on repeat a thousand times like a crazy person. Is there a way to open up music on that screen, either in one of the two side by side ways or in a slide over? without lifting my fingers off the keyboard? Because I don't think there is. There is. Okay, how? All right, so one of the things that's important to note is that there is now a new modifier key, which is the globe key. I I did love that. Like when I saw the globe key being used as um, the shortcuts key, I thought, oh, that's quite clever. Mm -hmm. And I I also thought, count down to how long will it be until the globe key appears on uh, the next MacBook? I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if it does eventually show up on the regular keyboard. No, it is on there now. Is it really? Yeah, like I believe so. The globe key is on the magic keyboard. Oh, is it on the actual laptop itself though? Yes. Huh, okay. Well, there we go. Prediction instantly reached retroactively. <laughs> I didn't even realize it was there. Yes, the bottom left key. Oh, okay. It was just t- It's totally erased from my brain because I'm always on these mechanical keyboards and I just forgot about it and assumed it wasn't there. But And something that I like, so uh, obviously mechanical keyboards, external keyboards don't have that key, but you can remap it. So on my... Yes, yeah. I've remapped the caps lock key to be the globe key. Oh, that's that's an interesting choice, yeah. I've always done caps locks as control. But... Who needs caps lock? Yeah, no one needs caps lock Mm-mm. except for very... <laughs> shift is fine it's totally (laughs) fine so uh, this is a thing where so what we're talking about here you want to put it either on the left or right hand side of the split right right okay now if you do it the way you would think you would do it it doesn't work right so this is the way i've uh, I've been trying to do it is i think okay i've got my two windows open Mm -hmm. 
and I want to swap one of them for something else. Yep. And so the way I try, I've tried to do it is I pull up a spotlight search. I, I search for music mm -hmm. and then I use the keyboard shortcut to try to put it left exactly. or right. And my, that doesn't work. my iPad crashes and literally will switch to Chinese sometimes. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> you can do this, but you've got to do it the other way around. Okay. What does that mean? So you start by globe control left or right say you want to put mm -hmm. something on the left or right hand side then do the spotlight search huh and then, then whichever app you hmm. choose will take the other side oh okay interesting so, i'm very glad to hear that this was the first thing that i tried because this is what we have been asking for forever yeah that you can start a search and then you can just open the app on the left or right hand side so you can do it you just have to start with i want to change the split screen then do your search and it will replace it. Oh, in interesting. That is so incredibly backwards from the way that I would think about mm -hmm. it, but whatever. Um, I'm, I'm very glad that's there. I've gotten used to it very quickly. I've been doing this over the last few days. Something else, which is also kind of cool, you can use the keyboard now to select an app from the home screen. Oh, can you? I didn't, I didn't realize so that. So when you're on the home screen, you just press tab, and then you can go left, up, down, and right, and it highlights each application, and you can just launch them mm. that way, too. Oh, that's that's really nice. Yeah. I'm super glad to hear that about the keyboard shortcuts, though, because that has, you know, like I, I've mentioned ResearchPad as like the iPad that I use for research, and I have always loved it, but I, I've almost always described it in the context of using it primarily for reading and internet research, because the it's always just been too much of a hassle to switch back and forth between writing and reading and doing all of the other stuff and i think if i can use the keyboard to quickly switch between ulysses for writing obsidian for notes and safari for finding stuff or kindle for the book that i'm going through like being able to switch rapidly between those three or four without having to take my hands off the keyboard i think that does have the potential to really change the amount that I use the iPad and I'm like I'm just very very happy to hear that fast switching mm -hmm. is possible now like I, I I really think that 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 could be a, a real game changer for how I use the iPad again they have done a very good job of making the system that they truly seem to believe in make more sense for power users mm. Mm. in my opinion and yeah, you know, they've added stuff in like there's this kind of weird double menu bar now. You mean the thing on the bottom that has like the different tabs? Is that the one that you mean? Yeah, there's two. So you in an application, you can hold down the command key and see what options are available for you with keyboard shortcuts. But there are also actions mm. you can perform. And this is where if an application is a Catalyst app, they've added all of the Mac specific menu bar items. And so now the iPad applications benefit from those. Mm. But also, there's also one if you hold down the globe key, which tells you all of the things that are system related that you can do. Yeah. Like you can bring up control center and notification center now with keyboard shortcuts. Mm -hmm. You know, that you can basically operate the entire system now with the keyboard, which is a thing that you could not do before. Yeah. And that is because they've added this new weird key. It's the globe key. Using that globe key is just fantastic for yep. this too. And it's just an accident because it was originally only used for the like emoji and language switching, right? Like it basically wasn't used for hardly anything. It's it's actual, I believe its original purpose was purely language switching. Then they put emoji behind it. Hmm. But it, it just works out that that globe idea to represent the languages is also perfect for 
these are the global commands for the system mm -hmm. that are not tied to any particular app. So yep. it's like, oh, what a happy coincidence. And yeah, it's, it's very interesting that that's where they put all the commands. Two thumbs up to that. The one little suggestion that I might have for the team is, and, and again, maybe I'm just missing an obvious thing about this, but I like that you can now like move the windows around, but there seems to be confusion about which window is in focus. So, so even like when you're pulling up the keyboard shortcuts, it's not always obvious which app in a split screen situation is the app that is currently focused on. So they have actually added an affordance for this now. Okay, what have, what have they added? So at the top of each application, you have those three dots, right? And those uh -huh. three dots are where you can tap that and get it to do the multitasking things. Mm -hmm. The active application is now, there is now a highlight around those dots. Oh my, oh my God, that was literally going to be my suggestion. Yeah. Did they just add this in? Is this like developer beta two? No. Or I haven't seen that yet. It's in beta one. Hmm. I think okay, you got to kind of know what you're looking for to see it because it's subtle, but it's there, mm. you know. So you, if what, whichever application has the little highlight around the dots is the active application. Oh, cool. I'm very glad to know that that's there then. Because yeah, that, that was the only other thing I was thinking. It's like, which have why? Oh, these are the keyboard shortcuts for the wrong one or I moved the different mm -hmm. one onto the other side. But that is that is that is great. Oh man, you've, you've made me a lot happier about the keyboard shortcut stuff because I, I just was worried about... No, the one thing I really want to do with these shortcuts, I can't figure out how to do it, but I'm I'm very glad that it's there. One of the other things I've always wanted from iPad multitasking is a way to control it with shortcuts. Mm. That now exists. Mm -hmm. So this is actually because of the fact that they have added shortcuts to the Mac. So macOS Monterey is bringing shortcuts and it's starting a multiple year transition to becoming the automation system on the Mac. So mm -hmm. it's going to replace Automator. To mm -hmm. do that, they had to add in a bunch of things that Automator can do. Most of these are Mac-related, but some of them they've created iPad counterparts. So a lot of files-related actions now exist on the iPad that didn't before, like mm. getting the contents of a folder, saving to a specific folder in the Files app, grabbing files from the Files app. These are things that Shortcuts couldn't do before. But one of the things that it has gained is the ability to set applications in split view and slide over. Hmm. So th there's a couple of things you can do. One for me, I love it. Like I've had, I have this show prep shortcut that I've had for years, which will open a Google Doc and set a timer. But now it can open a Google Doc, it can set Safari on the right hand side, and then open Notes in a slide overview as well. Absolutely mm -hmm. perfect for me. But then also the thing that we've asked for years for, which is the ability to create app pairs, you can now do that with shortcuts and put an icon on your home screen of your own choosing, and it can just be two applications that they will just open and be next to each other. I know that this feature is there because when I couldn't figure out how to make an app, an arbitrary app just go to the left or the right, mm -hmm. I'd started building some shortcuts that were, what are all the combinations of things that I could possibly want, <laughs> right? So, so I made a shortcut that was UO, and that would open up Ulysses on the left and Obsidian on the right. And then it was like, KU Kindle on the left, Obsidian on the right. I mean, you still might want that, right? Because that's that's going to be the fastest way to get the two specific apps that you want. Did you know, by the way, as well, in the multitasking switcher where you see all of the applications, you can now create and break multitasking in that view. Yeah, I think I think that's that's like a fun demo. I'm not sure I'm going to use that very much, but a, that is cool to see. It's one of those things that I wanted it every now and then, and was really annoyed mm. that it didn't work. <laughs> 
Right, right. right. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, I'm just happy. That, like, So I can go in there now and be like, oh, that's the app I was looking for. I don't need it in a split view. And I just drag it out. I, I think also one of the little features that I wouldn't have thought to ask for, but I'm very glad is there, is in that multitasking view, you can now see what is living in slide over. Yes. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. I always kind of felt like slide over was this really random look. Like I never knew what I was going to get in slide over. Mm-hmm. It seemed like apps sometimes fell out of there or went into there for reasons that I just couldn't quite figure out. And it's like, oh, now being able to just visually see, you know, you have pcalc and the notes app in slide over it's like great okay i can just see that they're there in what order they're in i really really like that as an addition even though i like i would never have thought to request it mm. so it's it's nice to be able to see that and also from that window be able to boot stuff out like oh i don't really need music and slide over anymore and just get rid of it i feel like i haven't done a good enough job of just underscoring the fact of how incredibly excited i am that shortcuts is coming to the mac like this was very tippy top of my feature request list for the year. Oh, really? Interesting. Okay. Because over this last year, I have moved most of my work back to the Mac again, right? I've been mm. talking about it on the show before. And shortcuts was the main thing that I was missing. Mm. Because there were things that I've been so used to doing on my iPad and my iPhone that I can't do on my Mac. Or I have a little problem that I want to fix. And my brain kind of knows how to use shortcuts. But I couldn't do it on my Mac. So... I'm super excited about this. I actually think that there are a bunch of things that I can do with the power of the Mac that will be fantastic for me, like file management and stuff like that. Like, super excited. And I mean, and if you are a, a, like a old school diehard automation expert, you can run scripts inside of shortcuts. You can use Apple mm. Script, Shell Scripts, all that kind of stuff. It will all work, which is, I mean, frankly, astounding, honestly, <laughs> that they've built that functionality in. I think Apple surprised me a lot this year, honestly. Like, they've added a lot of features that i want and then they've also implemented them in ways that i would want but wouldn't have expected them to do yeah i haven't had a chance to play around with shortcuts on the mac i think that was less high on my list because i'm one of those people who was using keyboard maestro and automator Mm -hmm. to do a bunch of the things that i wanted so it wasn't as high on my list but i am very glad to have a unified system and to say okay now it's just going to work the same way and I don't I don't have to open up these automator actions that I've been carrying around for years and years to do some of the stuff on the Mac that I want to do. That is very nice and I'll be curious to test the import of like, hey, can you just suck in all my old automator stuff so I don't have to think about it? I'll be curious to see how that goes, but it, it will be really nice to have shortcuts on the Mac and from what I remember it looked like in the demo, you can do the same thing like on iOS where you can create pseudo app icons where you can click them and like run the shortcut that way so oh, they're everywhere man you can run them from app icons they could be in the dock the menu bar and in finder yeah that's like great perfect it's that's everywhere. exactly what i would want i think i saw someone saying in the relay fm discord which i really liked like you could create a folder in the dock you know like you can do like those little stacks and just put a bunch of shortcuts in there put a bunch of shortcuts in it so cool i thought that was a really clever idea better than bringing widgets which suck on the mac and i can't believe (laughs) they have not like i want widgets on the mac home screen as well why not like why like the notification center area of the mac is is pretty bad at the moment and and it's not getting fixed yeah, whatever, whatever. Like that one got left behind this year, but I never used it anyway. Of course you didn't. Yeah, I'll I'll just say like we've said it before, and I will say it again. The acquisition of shortcuts by Apple is maybe the best acquisition that the company has ever made, and 
years later after that acquisition, like I'm very happy to see that unlike some other times when companies get acquired, like it didn't just disappear into the behemoth of the company. Like shortcuts really has become this totally core part of now all of the operating systems. And I'm just so happy about that. And what I like too is the people that I knew that worked on workflow mm-hmm. are still there. Mm-hmm. And like I see them in the videos, you know, mm-hmm. like in the session videos. And that also just makes me feel good about what they're doing with it. Like that the people that made this app and cared about it and thought it had something and wanted to keep, like wanted to make it, they want to continue working on it and keeping it going at Apple. Yeah, it's fantastic. One of the engineers was saying that like it was interesting for them because they had to become Mac developers this year. Hmm. <laughs> right, right. Of course. Of course. And none of them have made a Mac app before. Right. They knew. They knew iOS apps. That's what they knew how to make. They had to learn to become Mac developers. Well, but isn't that what Catalyst does? You don't have to learn how to be a Mac developer. You can just. It's not Catalyst. Oh, it's not. Okay. No, interesting. It's SwiftUI and AppKit. Hmm. Okay. Now the version on iOS is SwiftUI and UIKit. Oh, I guess that explains some of the visual redesigns as well. Though. That's why it looks different. Right. Which is, I was, I was also really glad for the collapsible hierarchy stuff. I was yeah. like, oh, thank God, you know, when you have a bunch of nested statements, it's like now I can just collapse all of that away and make it a hundred times easier to scroll Again, through. Because like, there's so much that has gone on in shortcuts this year in a way that I think we weren't expecting so much. It's been kind of missed that the app has been completely redesigned, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> Which. <laughs> In other years would have been the story, but the, yes. it looks different. The organization is different. Um, and then they've added in some features to make things a bit more neater, mm-hmm. which, I mean, kind of has resulted in the iPad version is pretty buggy right now. But that's what you would expect if an app was completely rebuilt. Right? Yes, <laughs> but of it's, course. Like I, it's also easy to forget because they've done so much with it. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace has got you covered. They combine cutting-edge design and world-class engineering to make it easier than ever to establish your home online and make your ideas a reality. Squarespace has everything that you're going to need to create a beautiful and modern website. You start with a professionally designed template and use drag-and-drop tools to make it feel like your own. You're able to customize the look and feel, the settings, even the products that you have on sale with just a few clicks. All of Squarespace's websites are optimized for every kind of device, so your content's going to look great whether it's on a desktop computer, a tablet, or a phone. You get free unlimited hosting with top-of-the-line security and dependable resources to help you succeed without needing to patch or upgrade anything yourself. They do it all for you, and they back everything up with award-winning 24-7 customer support. Squarespace will let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and they have everything you're going to need to make sure they optimize best for SEO. They have email marketing options and so much more. With Squarespace, you can turn your big idea into a new website, showcase your work with their incredible portfolio designs, publish a blog post, promote your business, announce an event, and so much more. I recently thought, hey, why don't I have a personal landing page where I can link to all of the various projects that I have, you know, from my Twitch streaming to Cortex brand to Relay FM, everything. I had this idea, and then by the end of the afternoon, I had a new Squarespace website set up at MikeHurley.net. Super easy to do. I could put in a bio, everything. They're great templates for me to take advantage of. 
wonderful. Go to squarespace.com slash cortex for a free trial with no credit card required. Then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cortex to save 10% of your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash cortex. And then when you decide to sign up, use the offer code cortex to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for the continued support of this show and all of Relay FM. So let me now tell you about the other universal feature that, no joke, even though people will be like, oh, focus modes, 100%. That's what Gray wanted to talk about. Maps. Obviously, he's super excited about all the new maps features. It looks like a video game, right? Oh my god, the new maps night mode is gorgeous. It looks like a, it's very interesting. It looks it looks like a video game. I'm I'm intrigued. This isn't the feature. I'm in, yeah. I'm I might give Apple Maps a go again because I want to see about their transit stuff. I think you totally should. Like I I will just say here, quite legitimately, Apple Maps has been the butt of jokes for years, and I think partly because of that. People have not properly perceived how improved Apple Maps has become. Like, I think people are just really blind to their slow but very good incrementing of features. I think part of the reason, though, is because you don't need to care because Google Maps is also brilliant. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, like, I'm not saying that Google Maps isn't good. It's just like, I just think people underrate how good Apple Maps currently is. And they're thinking about that time they gave it a try three years ago. And one of the things that I've noticed is that Apple Maps has started doing some of the, um, I don't know, know quite what to call it, but like the Google AI stuff where they mark off districts for you that aren't official places. But like if you go scroll around London, the Apple Maps will mark off like what are the commercial districts? in these various areas like where is the actual high street of this town and that's outlined in orange and it's like boy is that stuff incredibly useful when you're visiting some place that you're not familiar with to know oh all of this area is residential area and then this area is the commercial area where shops and things are like what a pain in the ass it must be to build that kind of feature in. But it's so useful and it's also so subtle that you might not even really think about it, that like the app is kind of directing you to. If you're in the city, these are the places that you probably want to go. You probably don't want to just wander around randomly in a residential area that has nothing commercial for you. Lots of little things in apps. I really love that their default 3D satellite imagery is back. Like whenever you switch into satellite mode, you used to then have to manually turn on the 3D thing. And I always found it super annoying because the 3D view is super helpful, but like it's it's there. Apple Maps also added in a feature, which is the, I want to know when I need to leave to reach a particular area by a certain time which they just hadn't had for quite a while. So it's like, great, that's added in of like, I need to be at the airport by 8 a.m. on Wednesday. Like, when do I need to leave by? So I would totally recommend giving it a little try. And I mean, all of these things are personal, but Mm. one area where I think Apple Maps really does do a good job is I've, I've just found that they're always better at the audio cues for when you're driving. They're just better about telling you like when do you need to turn telling you at the moment that you actually want to know whereas i found all of the other systems that i use they tell you like oh turn left ahead but not as reliably at like the moment when i actually want to know 
oh, is it this left turn or is it the next left turn or this other stuff? So I would totally recommend giving it a try if you haven't in a while. Plus, it just looks beautiful. I'm <laughs> like poking it just, around it, it now. It looks and so good. It really is very well designed in a way that I think I haven't given it credit for. It's gorgeous. I think the colors that they choose are, are really beautiful. It's a great looking map, especially if you're in like the new map area. Like they've I'm like it's I know this is almost like a joke on the show now, but I I really do think that the map stuff is super interesting. I want to hear more from Meg Frost. Like tell me more about these maps and their super cool features. And I do think that the map system is the key to their augmented reality future. Like they even again showed just a just a quick little demo of like, oh, by the way, in maps, now we can pinpoint your exact location by looking at the streets around you. And we can draw an arrow mm -hmm. on the street of which way you need to go. It's like, gee, Apple Maps, what Why? might that be used Why for? Why would you do that? I don't know. I can't understand. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, you want to see Apple's AR future, like look at maps and it's gorgeous but anyway that was not what i wanted to talk about specifically but like i just love the maps update and i think it's really good and i use the apple maps app a lot i feel like i want to get you a t-shirt that just says maps on it <laughs> <laughs> i would totally wear that shirt 100 <laughs> but okay so here's the secret feature i was saving to the end the thing that i was legit the most excited about the thing that when I heard it, I was like, I'm going to install this developer beta on every one of my machines, except for the writing machines. And it is synchronized tab groups in Safari. Okay, like, great. I'm I pleased we've gotten I cannot tell you how excited huh. I am about this. All this right. is even more than the focus modes this is like the best feature for me this year in the operating system. This is interesting. It's like focus modes, people who've listened to the show, you know how like years of frustration and like all of my anger around that very high, but like synced tab groups beats it out. And it makes like such a tangible difference to the way that I work. I can barely express it to you. And it's like, when I got that developer beta on, you know, I've got three different machines. It's like thing number one I was doing is like making the tab groups for different projects and synchronizing them together and trying to pull out all of the random tabs I have on different machines. And I was like, what bliss, what bliss to finally have Safari work the way that I think it should work with these tab groups. So I'm thrilled. I love it. Interesting. <laughs> all right. Super high level. Tab groups allows you to now collect up a selection of tabs and you put them into what is effectively a group, a folder, um, and they live in the sidebar. So you can have multiple groups of tabs. They live in the sidebar um, or in a menu on the iPhone. And these tab groups, when you add or remove to them, they are synced across all of your devices. This is a really cool feature, I think, of Safari. What is interesting is the new design for Safari. Very controversial so far. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's fine. Like, I think it makes more sense on the phone. The uh, address bar on the bottom of the phone, I think, is an improvement, even though it's weird. Like, it's it takes a little bit of getting used to it there. On the, I mean, I haven't used the phone, but I've seen screenshots and stuff. I am just so thankful they've gotten rid of that stupid carousel thing. They're like the card catalog style, like the way that you would go through tabs on the iPhone. I hate oh that. yeah, it's now yeah. a grid again, which is how it should have always been. Yeah, yeah, it's much better as a it's much better as a grid. The Safari redesign, I think I'm I'm mostly fine with it. I think the one thing that's weird is if you have a bunch of tabs open, 
the how to put how to put this like previously on Safari you have the thing that is like this is the URL bar here is the URL that you are currently located at mm-hmm. and in the current version that changes depending on which tab you have open where is that on the screen so I, I find that a little bit disorienting. It's like, oh, sometimes yep. the URL that I'm looking at is all the way on the right if I'm looking at the rightmost tab. And if I'm looking at the leftmost tab, it's all the way on the left. Like I don't I don't love that, but you know, overall the redesign, I I would give it a thumbs up. I think it's fine. Like I wasn't begging for a redesign, but no. it's I, I don't hate it. I'm trying to get used to the new tab view where the tab is also the address bar. Like, yeah. I'm still getting used to it. I'm kind of bummed that pin tabs don't seem to be a thing anymore. I like that. However, mm. I think tab groups will actually give me better organization that way. Yeah. I think I could get used to it. I would say that in the broader Apple community, is this is not loved, this design, to, to put it hmm. mildly. But I would say... For me, I'm mostly fine with it because I really like the tab group feature. I think it's really cool and it actually helps me with organization. I don't need to Mm. have 50 tabs open if I can collect them up into little groups instead. Yeah. The only feature I would request, which doesn't seem to exist, is I would love to have an ability to say, open all new URLs in a specific tab group. The Mm. fact that there is like a local unsynced set of web pages i find a little strange and i i wonder if that's going to cause user confusion with people when it's like wait oh i didn't know that because i can i only have it on one device right now i I've, i thought that everything would be synced but it's not so it doesn't sync everything and i sus like the one thing i worry about is if the tab group's feature is received as unpopular because there is an inconsistent behavior that people don't understand and like it's it's always seemed weird to me that safari doesn't sync anyway it'd be a bit like if your notes app doesn't sync and people are like no no that's the way i want notes and apps to work is that it's not supposed to sync i only have this notes on this computer and it's like no no that's just the way you've used computers for 10 years. It's like, that's not actually a better way to do it. It always seemed to me like Safari state should universally sync, just like your notes app state universally syncs, just like your photos universally sync. And I think people who argue for non-universality sync in web browsers are just arguing out of the way they have used something in the past. But I suspect that that contingent is quite strong and vocal, and it's why Safari's default behavior is this split way where when you click a URL and it opens a new page, it opens that page in what is now effectively, this is your local copy of Safari on this machine, Mm. and these tabs do not sync. Only the tabs that you put in tab groups sync and i just wish there was a way to tell the system either like hey this idea of local web pages is stupid and dumb and just synchronize everything or what i tried to do was i just created a tab group called tabs and i tried to find a way to tell the system like open all new urls in in this tab group yeah so that it's just synced across machines but as far as i could tell there's no way to do that yeah it doesn't look like it But even currently the way that it works, it's fine because if I am in a tab group, 
all new tabs and new URLs open within that group. And it's like, that makes such an incredible difference about just keeping track of what was I looking at for various research projects. It's like, I, I do not have the words to express how huge of a deal it is to not lose track of interesting web pages that I had open somewhere or what would happen more often is like recreating on each machine the same sort of groups of similar pages on a topic and like it was just incredibly frustrating and it's it's why uh, I talked on several shows ago about trying to figure out some way with shortcuts or system automation to like force this behavior by automatically bookmarking and opening tabs and it was just like it wasn't possible so synced tab groups was my hallelujah moment in the keynote and i was so pumped and even on developer beta one it's like it works great (laughs) i'm so happy about it there is one thing i don't like about safari which is like how basically every action is hid behind that three dot button yeah yeah i don't know what they're trying to do there that's very odd to me like including the share button so like it's so many taps now to share something that that that's like a an odd choice the design brief there feels a little bit like someone thinks safari is much more space constrained than it really is Mm -hmm. that's a little bit what this design feels like i think especially that it's this way on the mac too i think is the most egregious part yeah yeah (laughs) it's the you know we're good you know with our 20 (laughs) 30 inch monitors like it's fine yeah i can have one extra button there (laughs) but I, i agree with you that is weird and i've i've found myself being like I want to send this web page to a shortcut. Where the hell is? Oh, okay. It's under here. And then it's, it's like, that's fine. I can, I can live with, I mean, I can live with almost anything in exchange for tab group. So there whatever. are many uh, <laughs> betas, you know, where things change design wise. And actually Safari has a history of radical changes. And then some of it is walked back by the time the release is out. Hmm. I actually think Safari is probably where we'll see the most design iteration throughout the beta process. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, if I had to pick one thing, I, w- I would probably say, can I just get the tabs separate from the current URL? Like, that's the thing that I like the least, but I also think I'll get used to it over time. It's just weird right now, and I, I don't like the inconsistency. Because it's so new and it's so different. Yeah. One last thing I wanted to ask what your thoughts are if you tried it yet is universal control no no um i I haven't tried universal control i laughed out loud at uh craig's totally ridiculous but also completely metal demo (laughs) of i'm going to drag this file from my ipad into final cut on the mac i was like oh my god well my favorite (laughs) part of that is he just unnecessarily dragged it over another computer so it went from an ipad to a macbook to an imac and the macbook did nothing in the process except be there (laughs) yeah especially for me the fact that he dropped it into final cut of all things is like oh my god i think that's an amazing demo i have a hard time imagining i would ever actually use it because i really love putting my ipad into sidecar mode with the laptop Mm -hmm. as a second monitor like i use that all the time that's one of my favorite new uh features from was it last year or the year before i can't remember but i use that constantly as a quick and easy way to get two screens on a laptop but to me the big benefit of that is this is now all the same machine and i can use it in the same way like i just i have a hard time imagining a situation where i specifically want 
to use an iPad in that way with the Mac. Hmm. I could imagine it. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but I just, I have a hard time imagining any way that would be better than just sidecarding the iPad into a second monitor, unless there's some app on the iPad that only runs on the iPad, but yeah. I don't know. Do you imagine a use for it? I could at times. Like There are some app experiences that I prefer on the iPad, but I could also imagine just I have this screen here and like I want to have a full screen Fantastica window. I'll just mm. pop over and open it rather than do the side, the whole sidecar thing or whatever. You know, I could think as these devices can continue to get closer and closer to each other, it's almost like having a second screen rather than even needing yeah. to do a sidecar. There was just one little implementation detail that I just think is super clever. Your devices don't know where they are related to each other, right? Right. They have no idea, right? You put your iPad to the left-hand side of your iMac. Your iMac doesn't know there's an iPad next to it. The way it works is you have to kind of take your cursor and you push it all the way to the edge of the screen and you keep pushing and then you see this kind of cursor trying to break through to the iPad. I did really like that animation. Like right. when they showed that animation on the demo, I was like, oh, that's a cool way to, to put it. Like you're trying to break through this membrane separating the yeah. two devices. So when you do that, you have proven where these devices are in relation to each other. And that's how it knows. Right. But I haven't, since I haven't tested it, you you must have to invoke some command on the Mac to say, I want to push the cursor through, right? Like, it, it doesn't just work if the iPad is just open next to the Mac, right? Like, you must have to say... What, no, what you're doing is you're just, like, you push it off the screen and then you keep going. Right. I guess what I'm asking is that behavior mm-hmm. is just default always, that if I have an iPad open... Yeah, or another Mac. And I have a Mac open... If I ever move the cursor to the edge of the screen, if I keep pushing, it will push through to the other device. Like, that's just the constant default behavior? I believe so, yes. Hmm. That is very clever, then. I guess it also, like, the devices know there's other devices in the proximity that are open, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. it's got to know there's a device first, and that's using continuity, right? Like, it's not going to give you that option if the iPad is locked or the screen of the laptop is closed but i just think it's such a clever way of dealing with it that so like if you had your uh, ipad like on the below your monitor and you push on the left hand side it's going to come in from the right hand side right right it's just assuming that people wouldn't do that right yeah what what are you some kind of monster who who wants to have the cursor go off in the wrong direction Mm -hmm. to get to the other screen (laughs) so it's just like one of those things where like i just love the ui design of that it's just using kind of behavioral psychology really like it's just the way people do things that's how we're gonna Mm -hmm. make it work because once you've done that first part you can then move freely between them you're just Mm. establishing where it is in the first instance you don't have to keep doing that pushing thing right right Hmm. that is is very clever i I didn't really think about it very good wwdc overall lots Mm -hmm. of stuff i think that ridiculous demo is maybe one of my favorite tech demos i've ever seen apple do like i i think there was there was just a lot of showmanship in yeah. that feature it was really really well done demo and and made me smile and was ridiculous but also impactful at the same time as like that was great that was a that was an apple at its best presentation style of like look at the way all of our things are integrated together and this silly but also useful and funly designed feature that that we've created like that was a a plus 
demo for sure. We're going to round out the show with uh, an Ask Cortex question. Of course. Hashtag Ask Cortex. We do them every time now. You can always send them in if you want to with a tweet. Hashtag Ask Cortex. Or you can use question mark Ask Cortex in the Real FM members Discord. Haley asked, have either of you considered working a four-day work week? I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are on it. I mean, I'm guessing with the number of shows that you record that you couldn't really do a four-day work week? Could you squeeze all of your shows into four days? Yeah, I could. I mean, it's rare that I record five days. Okay. Like, I I usually, kind of depending on the week, I, I might record a show on three days or on four days, but I might be on some days doubling up. But I, I typically mm. don't record every day. I wouldn't want to, though. Like, I, I sat and thought about this for a bit. Mm-hmm. So the idea of a four-day work week, I guess, is in essence taking a five-day week and turning it into four, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I know that sounds maybe a bit stupid, the way that I put it, but it's the idea like, of most people who have a Monday to Friday, typically nine to five job, what do you think about either drop in a day or drop in a day and add in more days onto the other four. I expected the two ways you would do it. But I don't work Monday to Friday, nine to five. Mm-hmm. Like if I did a four day work week, I've lost three days. <laughs> right? <laughs> because I, I work a bit every day by and large. And that's just how I am. It's what I like to do. And sometimes mm. it can just be simple stuff. Like I'm not sitting down and editing a podcast seven days a week, right? But I think my ideal for this would be more in the spirit of it rather than the actuality of it. So working okay. a little bit less than I do now, but still every day, rather than restricting it to just certain days. Mm. Like who wouldn't want to work less? Yeah, I mean, I think it's part of the, the usual way that I always hear the four-day work week pitched is that the second option that you said where it's like, okay, instead of five days a week at eight hours a day, it's four days a week at 10 hours a day. Mm-hmm. That's the usual version that I hear pitched of the four-day work week. Yep. I think that can make sense in a lot of circumstances, but it sounds like it doesn't necessarily make sense in your circumstance at all. No, because I feel <laughs> like I kind of maybe already have my own version of this, which is work less five days, but work every day. Right, right. Yeah, as you were talking, I was just trying to think. I'm fairly sure I I did do a four-day work week technically at one of the schools that I worked at, but that's it's not quite the same because I was a part-time teacher there, but I was like going in four days a week instead of going in five days a week. And I do think for schools, if I was a full-time teacher, I would totally push for schools doing four days of 10 hours a day rather than five days of eight hours a day. Like I, I would 100% push for that kind of change. I think there's a lot of jobs where there would really be a huge benefit for people moving to a four-day work week. You know, not, not least getting rid of the sort of fixed costs of going into work of like your commute time and getting ready for the daytime and lunch expenses and whatever. So... I would say as a general statement for most jobs in the economy, I I would think they could probably almost all benefit from a four-day work week. But there's a, just like you, there's totally a difference when I think about myself. And it's part of the reason when I made that Weekend Wednesday video, like what I've found working, worked for myself is over the years, I realized like I just don't, 
when I'm in a working groove, I don't really need a two day weekend. Like the two day weekend is sort of wasted on me. And that's why my current working schedule is to do two days on and a day off and then three days on and then one day off and then repeat. Mm -hmm. And that, that works super well for me. Like, my God, has that been a fantastic pandemic schedule? But the flip side of that is, even though I don't have regular weekends of series of two days off, what I do, like, like after sharks, sometimes after big projects, I just take a bunch of time off. And I think there's a way in which that kind of balances out with the weekends of, yes, I'm working more consistently over the course of the year, but I also don't do that indefinitely. And there are times when I'll just take a bigger longer break after the completion of a project so that's the way I, f I feel like that's the groove that i've worked into over these years of i like the more consistent work i feel like for me one day off every couple of days is a is a much better working schedule and i i think in my current situation a four-day work week would just be worse if i was trying to do all of the work in four days and take three days off like I just think that would be a terrible schedule for me in my current situation, even though I think that is by default probably the best answer for most jobs in most of the economy for everyone else. That Sharks video, that, that did see, you, you've mentioned it a few times, that really does seem like it took it out of you. <laughs> Look, Mike, this is, this, that, was, that was a long, brutal project. This has also been a very long wwdc episode so very long <laughs> uh, so i think it's time for some more texts so like we always say <laughs> <laughs> two times this pattern <laughs> all of this and more texts <laughs> at getmoretext.com